1: Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. You can turn with me to John chapter 1. Today, we're going to start our sermon series through the Gospel of John. And I'm going to take a little bit of time just to talk about the gospel of John with us in the whole thing. And so we have a good understanding of what our exact passage is about today. Because I want to give to you a principle for understanding what the Bible is talking about. And the the principle for understanding books of the Bible is sometimes called the melodic line. If you find the melodic line in a book of the Bible, you can understand usually a part of that book of the Bible better if you understand what the whole thing is about. It's sort of like, if you know a song really well, you understand the part of the song that you're in a little bit better in the context of the rest of the song, if you know what that melodic line is. So John helps us out very much because it tells us what the melodic line of the whole book is. It tells us what the through line of the book is near the very end of the book, and I want to ask you to just turn there with me if you go to almost the end of the Gospel of John. If you look at John chapter 20, verse 30, I'd love for you to just turn there along with me, John 20, verse 30, and I'm going to show you how John makes it real clear and easy for us to understand where this book is going. Because if you've opened there with me, I've circled it here in my, uh, in my journaling Bible. I invite you to do the same if you've got a pen, you know, star it or circle it. Because the heading tells you that John gives you the purpose of this book. And so if you're wondering what the point of the book is, John uniquely tells you that explicitly. So let me read to you these two verses here. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is so helpful because it tells us the thing that you should be expecting... All throughout the gospel is that it's pointing at this purpose. The whole reason the book was written was that so you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing have life in his name. Now, once you know that, you can realize when we look at individual parts of the Bible, this theme is repeated over and over and over again because John is driving us in this direction towards belief towards trust, towards believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to give you a few examples of this. So if you would turn with me to John chapter 2, I'm going to just show you in the first few uh, first few chapters that we're going to be working through. John chapter 2, verse 23. Let me read to you John 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when he saw the signs that he was doing. Then if you go to John chapter 3, probably the most famous verse in all of the Gospel of John, perhaps the most famous verse in all of the Bible, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So again, belief And you should notice this because John's telling you that you can find this all throughout. Now, if you go to John chapter 4, you can see the same thing working out. Let me read to you John chapter 4, verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This is why we're calling the sermon series, We Believe. And it's why today's sermon is just simply called Believe. Believe. Because John is all about belief, but it's not just about belief in some general way. It's not just saying John's encouraging you to have this general, vague sense of belief that things are going to turn out okay, that everything's going to be all right. John's not telling you to believe in yourself. John is directing us to believe in someone specific, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, this whole gospel is going to direct our attention to the Lord Jesus, who can give us light and life give us life eternal, the whole thing is going to direct our attention again and again and again to Jesus. And so if you look at our sermon graphic for today, I love the way that our communications coordinator put this together. She designed this. She did a wonderful job. It's all about Jesus. You notice there are three images above that word John. The first is a scroll. The second is a lamb. The third is a crown. Now that scroll tells the fact that Jesus is a prophet. The lamb talks about how he is the office of priest, and the crown tells us about how he's a king. And so that tells us about the the threefold office of Christ Jesus and communicates to us, I think, in a beautiful way that this is a series about belief in Jesus, in the Lord Jesus. Believe in Jesus because he's God make you a child of God. And one of the things that is my prayer, and it will continue to be my prayer all throughout this series, is that we might see new faith in the Lord Jesus as a result of this series. I'm praying that that would be the case, and I would ask that you would pray along with me. And let me tell you some ways that you can be involved. The first one is the essential one. It's the most important one. You can come to church Or you can worship online. We've got resources for you to engage with these sermons. We've got these Gospels of John that are scripture journals. There's plenty of space for writing notes, for scribbling down things to remember. Or other things, you know, depending on who you are and what you're hoping to do along with it. You can use these to to just write notes and to follow along with if you'd like. I'm so excited to look at John chapter one with you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter one I'm going to be reading verse one through verse 18 and let's remember as we hear this this is God's word in the beginning Was the word and the word was with God and the word was God He was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made That was made in him was life and the life was the light of men The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. has made him known. It is amazing what Jesus can do when he takes leadership of a person. It's amazing what Jesus can do when he takes leadership of anyone or anything, any institution or any weather pattern or any system, and especially any human being. If Jesus takes lordship of that one or that thing, it is extraordinary what Jesus can do. Take a look at this introduction, this prologue to the Gospel of John. It's extraordinary poetry. It's rich and complex. It's mysterious. It builds on itself. And it's written by a fisherman who was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write this. The gospel is called the gospel according to John because it's written by John, the disciple of Jesus, who had been a man who caught fish and left everything to follow after Jesus. And demonstrates, even in this prologue to his gospel, how extraordinary it is when Jesus takes leadership. I don't know if you've ever watched the Deadliest Catch, but my guess is that there's not too much time focused on the poetry of those guys that are fishing in the Atlantic, catching all of those all of those fish. They, they don't have much time to do that, which is part of why it's extraordinary that this fisherman is such an incredible poet. Now the point isn't that if you become a Christian that you are given a supernatural ability to become an amazing poet. That's not a promise I'm giving to you today. Some of you might trust in Jesus and still be really terrible poets if you were to try. But what I am saying is this, that John came to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, this one that he followed, and understand that he was Lord and God and realized the utter uh, utter beauty and majesty of that and so uses really the only type of thing that, that made sense to him because poetry has this way of conveying deeper mystery and more profound beauty than just prose does all on its own. It's a genre onto itself that helps communicate beauty and mystery and realizing the utter glory of the Lord Jesus, John is moved by the Holy Spirit to poetry. His introduction illustrates beautifully two fundamentally important things. In fact, there is nothing more important that you could learn or understand this week than the two simple things that are given to us in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. John 1 tells us who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And it's not, there's nothing that you'll encounter more important than knowing who Jesus is and what he came to do. Knowing who Jesus is and what he came to do should change your life, because it is amazing what happens when Jesus takes leadership of a person. And so let's talk about those two things. First, who Jesus is. John talks about this in a few different ways. First, John tells us that Jesus is everlasting. The, thing, uh, the whole book begins with, in the beginning was the word. Right at the start of everything, Jesus is already there. We're brought into the beginning and he's already been there. Jesus has been there chilling with the Father from before the beginning even started. We're brought to the beginning. And Jesus is already there. He is everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God, says the scriptures. Jesus is not just everlasting. Jesus is God. And this is what the passage says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word with God was God. Here we have one of the great mysteries, the mystery of the Trinity, The word, that's Jesus, was both with God, and so that means in some ways distinct from the Father, and the word was God, that is, of the same essence of the Father. How does this work? Well, this is a part of the poetry of John chapter 1, that this poetry is based on the great mystery of the universe, that God is one and God is three. My favorite theologian, St. Augustine, one of my favorite quotes by him is, deny the Trinity and you lose your soul. Try to explain the Trinity and you lose your mind. And I think that is such a helpful way of putting it. It defies, it defies understanding. It's not that it's irrational, it's that it's supra rational. It encompasses all of rationality and transcends it. This beautiful, profound mystery is at the center of all that is. God is one and three. Because of this, he has no need for us, praise God, and his love for us is not because he needs or wants anything from you. He simply loves you because he is good, he is God, and he is enough.
2: You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering 7 Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com.
1: And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. We pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord
2: Jesus Christ.
1: The passage then goes on to tell us that He is the Creator. Because He is God, He is able to make all things. And the scripture tells us that all things were made through Him. This means that Genesis 1 can best be understood through the lens of John chapter 1. If you take a look in in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, you'll realize that Genesis begins with these simple words. In the beginning. John chapter 1 begins with these words, in the beginning. The same phrase begins the gospel of John as began in the whole Bible itself. Genesis 1 tells us that God created everything by speaking. By his word, everything came into existence. And John chapter 1 tells us that that word was Jesus. Jesus was there at creation, the one through whom everything came to be. And this creator is also the creator of life. Is not just alive but possesses life because he's the author of life. The passage goes on to say in him was life and this life was the light of mankind. Don't miss this. You are alive. Jesus is life. Jesus has life. Life, And this means that only Jesus can solve the problem that all of us will have to deal with, the problem of dying, because he has an indestructible life. I realize you're not supposed to give away... The end of the story at the very beginning. But spoiler alert to the greatest end to the greatest story ever told. Jesus is going to die near the end of this gospel that we're reading. And after he dies, he's going to be raised again on the third day. Demonstrating the fact that even death can't hold on to him. Because Jesus isn't just alive. He is life. And the father will raise him again. And what that means is for all of you that trust in Jesus, you won't stay in the grave either. You'll get up just like Jesus did. Hallelujah. The scripture also tells us that he is light. I want to invite you actually to take a moment. I'll, prob- I'll, I'll look at my watch I'll give you like 15 seconds I want you to take a look at verses 4 and read verse 4 through verse 9 and I'd love for you to just take note of how many times the word light is written you can you know just put a dot there every time you see light or one two three four five six let me give you some time to do that take a look at how much the word light shows up in John 1 verses 4 through 9 I got seven times that the word light shows up did other people get seven times as well all right, good. I'm glad you all checked my work seven times. In the scripture, seven is the number of completion or the number of perfection. Again and again and again to the point of, of seeming overly repetitive. If you're reading it out loud, John says that Jesus is light. He does not want for us to miss that Jesus is the light. This world is dark. And we have felt the darkness of the world within our own midst as we've lost five members of the congregation in about a two-week span maybe less than two weeks the world is dark because it is trapped in sin and jesus is the light who alone is able to illuminate the darkness and bring you out of it he's also the true light the scripture doesn't just say that he's the light it says that he's the true light when i was in middle school i went shopping along with my whole family i tried on an outfit and i said mom does this match I don't know enough about style, so my mom had to help me. I asked my mother and my sister, does this match? They're like, you're good. You can wear that to middle school. And the next day I got up and I was like, I'm going to wear my new outfit. And I stepped out of my bedroom and my mom said, you can't wear that. It doesn't match. And I said, you said yesterday that it matched. And she said, you know what it is? Yesterday, when we were under those fluorescent lights, it seemed as though those colors went together, but that blue hue from the fluorescent lights meant that I wasn't able to see it rightly, and so now that I see it in the natural light, now that I see it in the sun, I realize that doesn't match. You have to go change. You're going to get made fun of. I was going to get made fun of anyway, but uh, I I changed, so I was wearing something that matched. Once I saw the true light, the natural light, I realized that it didn't work. Now, it works that way with everything else. Unless you're looking at something in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to see a skewed version of that sort of thing. It's going to be radically distorted. Unless you're looking at it in the true light, you're not going to understand. If you want to see, if you want to understand, if you want to know, you need to see by the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true light. The one who is from everlasting to everlasting because he is God. The one who created all things. The one who is life. The one who is light. That's who Jesus is in John 1 verses 1 through 18. So if that's who Jesus is, what did he come to do? Well, there are three things that are talked about in John chapter 1. The first is he came so that you might be a child of God. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. And this is, a, this is that through line throughout all of the gospel of John. I want you to take a look with me at verses 11 through 13 again. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him. Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. Jesus came to make you a child of God. To give you the inheritance that rightly belongs to one of God's children. Now, if somebody told me, came up and told me, and they were reasonable. They told me that I could become a child of Elon Musk without losing my natural family, but it meant that I would receive, you know, someday his $200 billion, that one day I'd become the chair of Tesla and SpaceX. I'd, uh, you know, might be ridiculed for it. I'd need to be directed by him. I'd need to understand things according to how he understands them. I might need to even become a troll on Twitter now and again. I would be like, sure, it's worth it if that means that I get that inheritance. You know, if I become a part of his family. In some spiritual way so that I get, you know, everything that he has becomes mine. That seems worth it. Here's, here's the point of the analogy. You might be wondering where I'm going. Here is the point. That Jesus comes that you can become a part of God's family. And the inheritance that comes from being a part of the family of God is so, 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 so much better. Because it doesn't spoil or fade or perish. It's eternal. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. God offers you a better inheritance than anything else forgiveness that does not end. A new, amazing spiritual family. Life that cannot die. Sign me up. I want to be a child of God. Whatever the cost, whatever I need to give up in this temporary, passing away world, let me do that because I want to be part of that family. I want that kind of inheritance. Jesus came. Now this is kind of a combination of two, so just bear with me here. He came to be near to you and to show you God's glory. John 1 verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, if you've ever read the King James Version, uses very old fashioned language, it will say the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And you might think, well, what in the world does that mean? Because that's not not a word that we use very often. Uh, you know, Aubrey and I got married and I was not like, now we shall tabernacle together now that we're married. I, I didn't say that, I promise. You guys seem like skeptical, like you probably said that. And I, did, I didn't say it. It's because it's old-fashioned language, but that's actually the Greek word that's used. The word is, is tabernacled. And it's language that, that calls our attention back, it directs our attention back to the book of Exodus, where God gives the instruction for the building of the tabernacle, the building of the place where God was supposed to be worshipped, and at the very end of Exodus, we we went through this as a church a couple of years back, maybe five years back. At the very end, God gives Moses incredibly particular design elements for creating the tabernacle, this place where the people of God would worship God. And Moses does everything that God tells him to do. And at the very end of the book. There's this really bittersweet ending to the book of Exodus because the glory of God comes and fills the tabernacle in the midst of all of the people, which is glorious. But the sad thing is, is that his glory is so astounding, it's so substantial, it's too much for the people. They actually can't enter into the tabernacle. God's glory comes and fills the tabernacle and the people can't come close enough to see it or experience it. And even within the tabernacle, there was a veil that separated the holiest place. And only the high priest on only one day of the year could could go into that place to, to see the Ark of the Covenant. Only one person on one day of the year was able to come into that holiest of places. That's how the tabernacle worked. But when Jesus comes to tabernacle among us, we're able to come near to him and experience the glory of God far more intimately than what was even possible before Christ Jesus came into the world after sin. Jesus came near so that we could experience God's glory. Verse 18 tells us that Jesus came to make God known, to show us the glory of God. And Jesus came to give us, to give you grace. Don't you love the way that John 1 puts it? Look at verse 16 with me. For from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. That hits me. That hits me right in the heart. Jesus came not just to give you grace, but so that you don't miss it. The Bible says it twice. Jesus came to give you grace upon Grace to give you a grace that does not, cannot, and will not end, to give you a grace that is sufficient to cover all of your sins, to give you a grace that is enough to heal, to heal and make you right and bring you to be a child of God, grace upon grace.
2: You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs,